I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles once again and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Haggai, where we've been now a couple of weeks. There, uh, if you're not real sure where that is, if you just go to the beginning of the New Testament in Matthew and work your way backwards, really just a, a couple of, of books that are not very far at all, you'll find the little book of Haggai, the prophet, the minor prophet there. The reason he was a minor prophet wasn't because uh, he was of any less value or anything like that than any of the other prophets. He just uh, had a, a smaller book that, he, that the Lord used him to write. And so we know it as a minor prophet book. This is one of the smaller books of the prophets in the Old Testament. And uh, as you are aware, one of the things that we've talked about is that this, this, the prophecies of the book of Haggai, the prophet Haggai, uh, his prophecies were in relation to the nation of Israel at the end of that Babylonian exile as they returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple there. The theme of the book is to consider. They, he, the Lord told them that they were to consider their ways. They had come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, but of course, as time went on, they had left off the building of the temple, and they got focused on just meeting the needs in their own lives, building houses, planting fields, and things like that, but the work of the Lord had been put on a back burner, and they really kind of just quit serving God. I mean, they uh, probably were well-intentioned and had plans to someday resume the work of the Lord, but they said that it wasn't a good time. And so for many years, the work of the Lord stood still, the building of the temple was not taking place, and so the Lord then sends the prophet to them to prophesy, to tell them, hey, you need to get busy about the work of the Lord, and consider your ways. Realize that the reason that you are not living in the blessings of God is because you disobeyed the voice of God. And that's exactly what they had been doing. The Lord told them in chapter 1 that he was against them. That when they were uh, going out into the fields, they were working hard to try and bring home uh, the fruits of their labors. That, that he would send drought, he would send blasting, and, and things to cause their, their, the work of their hands really to come to naught. And maybe in their minds they thought that this was just coincidence, but the Lord was telling them, hey, I'm trying to get your attention. And so that's kind of what chapter 1 is about. And at the end of chapter 1, we read that they resumed the work of the Lord, either the work of rebuilding the temple of the Lord. In uh, verse number 15 of chapter 1, it says, In the 4 and 20th day of the 6th month, so this is the 6th month of the year, the second year of Darius, and it was in the 24th day of that month. And then we come down here to chapter 2, and we, we covered the first part of chapter 2 last week, but uh, today we're going to pick it up in verse number 10, and uh, I want you to notice that this is three months later. It says in the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month. So three months after the work of the temple has resumed, the Lord sends now this third prophecy to the people. So if you're there in Haggai chapter 2, and if you would stand with me for the reading of the scripture this morning, if you're able to, if you're not able to do that, that's fine, of course, but let's stand together and read this, beginning in verse number 10 of Haggai chapter 2. Here's the third prophecy. It says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pot, 
answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, their work of ten. When one came to the press fat for a draw of fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands, yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now, from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from that, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. The title of the message this morning is When God Explains Himself. When God Explains Himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this powerful book of the Bible that so often we overlook and, and yet it's so applicable to our lives today. I pray, Lord, that as we dig into the scripture and we consider, as you've told us to do here, and consider your work among your people all these many years ago, but we also consider our lives today and how you may be working. Lord, would you, would you help us to be honest with ourselves before you? And by your spirit, Father, I pray that you would help us not only to intellectually understand the Word of God this morning, but to make application to our lives, that you would help us to, to understand how this applies to us and help us, Lord, to live it out in obedience. So, Lord, work in a great way and accomplish among us that which you please. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. As I mentioned earlier, this is the third prophecy uh, in this book. There are four in total uh, prophecies that Haggai proph prophesied, and this is the third one. Now, this one is a little bit different than the previous two that we looked at, because in the previous two prophecies, the Lord was uh, was dealing with issues that were going on in the lives of the people, and was kind of rebuking them, and also giving them instructions on how to make things right. But when we come to this third prophecy of the book of Haggai, there really uh, isn't necessarily any direct review, though the Lord does uh, address an issue, but really this is a, a prophecy in which the Lord is just kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit and explaining to the people why they have been experiencing what they've been experiencing. And he's just basically filling them in on his reasonings and, and, and the why behind the what. This is what he's been doing, but the reasoning behind that. As I was looking at this, I was just considering how amazing it is that God would explain himself. God owes no man an explanation. You know, a lot of people that kind of have a, view, a low view of God, a low understanding of God, these people sometimes believe that they have a right 
to understand. And when they don't understand circumstances that are happening in their lives, they have a tendency to get angry with God or bitter at God because they feel like, well, it's just not fair and, and, and uh, it's just not right that God doesn't show me what he's doing and why he's doing it. But I want you to know that God is above all. And, and his ways are higher than our ways, and he's greater than us. And since he's our creator, he has every right to do whatever he wants, and he does not owe us an explanation for any of it. And yet, God, who is above all, in his love and his mercy, will sometimes pull back the curtain and give us some insight into his ways and why he does what he does. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, hey, listen, you are facing some difficulties in your life, but let me explain some things to you. I mentioned a moment ago that when we pick it up here in this third prophecy, it has now been three months, exactly, three months to the day since the, the nation of Israel, that remnant that was there in Jerusalem, since they began rebuilding uh, the temple or restarted the work on the temple. Three months have passed, and yet they still have not yet seen uh, the Lord's hand of blessing in their lives. Uh, the Lord was against them because of their disobedience, but now for the last three months they've been working, they've been trying to do what is right, they've been trying to be obedient to the Lord, and yet their circumstances haven't really changed. Their trials that they're in are still, uh, still happening. Notice verse number 19, he says, Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree hath not brought forth. And so, so far, they still had not seen the Lord uh, give that blessing. They were still not reaping the benefits of, uh, of being obedient to the Lord. But the Lord is going to explain some things to them and give them an understanding and really a bigger picture than maybe they had considered before. And I want to show you that uh, beginning there in verse number 11, we see a lesson that the Lord begins to teach to them. And this lesson comes in the form of an illustration. This illustration is a question that is asked to the priests, those who would have been experts in the Mosaic law. Notice what he says in verse number 11. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying... If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with the skirt and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. So here's the question he's asking. He's referring back to the, the, the laws given, like in the book of Leviticus, where the where Lord, the Lord is, is, giving is giving detailed, detailed explanation, explanation of how they're supposed to offer sacrifices, sacrifices and, and the difference, the difference between, between clean and unclean. And he says, and he says you, you need to ask, ask the priests. Priest. Here's, what, here's what you ask them. If someone is going to bring, a let's say, a sacrifice to the Lord's house, and it's a sacrifice that would be not only clean but sanctified. It's something that has been given to the Lord and, and is designated for the purpose of sacrifice. And this person is, is bearing this sanctified meat offering uh, to the Lord. And on his way to the temple where he's going to offer this, uh, he touches other objects and other items. Does, does the fact that he's carrying this holy sanctified thing automatically sanctify the other things that, it, that are exposed to it? And the answer of the priest to that was no. Holiness doesn't spread. Sanctification doesn't spread. And then he asked the opposite side of the question. 
And he says in verse number 13, Then said Haggai, When one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Now you remember probably that one of the things that would make someone unclean to where they were not allowed to come into the, the, the temple and worship the Lord there was if they had touched and handled the dead body. There was a cleansing process and a period of time that was supposed to take place before they were going to come into the congregation in the presence of the Lord, and they were, they were to be considered unclean for a period of time. And there were other things that, of course, caused uncleanness. But, uh, but now the question is this. If someone that is unclean, they've touched a dead body or whatever the case is, they're unclean, now they go by and they touch one of these things. Do, are those things that they touched, are they now considered unclean? And the answer to that question was yes. So, in other words, holiness doesn't, doesn't spread, but unholiness, unrighteousness, and uncleanness does spread. A, a good example of that would be if we were to uh, be in here today, and, and let's just say uh, half of the congregation was, was sick, was ill with some kind of a virus. If we were to say if someone comes in here and this person is the specimen of health, you know, I mean, they're not only uh, healthy and not ill, but I mean, they're physically fit and they eat a good diet and they, they've just taken a shower. I mean, they've done everything that they can do to be clean. If they walk in here, does that automatically make everyone else in the room healthy? No, because health doesn't exactly spread, does it? Now, if the, other, if the opposite of that were to happen, if everyone in here is healthy and, and in, in, in good physical condition, but someone comes in and they've got some kind of a communicable disease and, and, and they're coming around and they're coughing on people and touching people, and they, do you think that their uncleanness can spread? Well, obviously it does. We know that to be true. And this is what the Lord is saying here. Unholiness or holiness and sanctification doesn't necessarily affect everything that we do, but uncleanness and unholiness does. And then he says here in verse number 14, then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean. You see, these people had listened, they had hearkened to the voice of the Lord, and they had begun to obey the Lord. But from what I can tell from this and other passages of Scripture, it would seem as though, though the works of their hands had changed, and they were now doing outwardly that which they were supposed to do, their heart had not yet been transformed. And so because they were, if we could say, unsanctified in heart, even the, the work of their hands was not pleasing to the Lord. If you're here in Haggai chapter 2, you can go forward maybe just a page or two to the book of Zechariah in chapter number 1. And I want you to notice in verse number 2, it says, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Therefore say thou unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Turn ye unto me, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will turn unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, this is a prophet that's prophesying at the same time that Haggai is. In fact, this, is, this specific prophecy, according to verse 1, is in the eighth month in the second year. So this is now between the time that they had begun rebuilding the temple uh, and, and now this prophecy that we're looking at in Haggai. So in between there, the Lord comes to the people and he says, hey, turn to me. 
You see, what was happening was that the people had begun to be obedient to the commandment of God, but their hearts had not yet been turned to the Lord. And I want you to know that the works of our hands and the things that we do are no substitute for having a heart that is right before God. You see, in fact, you're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 64 and verse number 6 where it says that we are all as an unclean thing. And, and it says that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. The very best that a lost person can do, someone who doesn't have Christ as their Savior, the very best that they can do, the most righteous that they can be, is still not enough uh, to, to be pleasing to the Lord. A, 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 an unsaved person, an unbeliever, a lost person cannot live a life pleasing to the Lord. Romans 8 says, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. It's, and so, so many people are out there in the world, and they're trying to reach God through the things that they do. They think, if I go to church, and, and if I get baptized, and if I uh, help my neighbor, and I give money to the Lord, and, and do all these different things, that somehow God is going to accept me. But the works of our hands can never make us right with God. Because we, because of our sin, are tainted, we're unclean. We're separated from the Lord, and the only way that we can come into the presence of God is by having the righteousness of Christ applied to our lives in salvation. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from sin. And that's what we need. We need to be cleansed. Before we can offer service to the Lord and obedience to the Lord, we need to be cleansed, and our hearts need to be turned toward Him. These people had begun doing what they were supposed to do, but in their hearts, they had not yet repented and turned to the Lord. And I want you to know this morning that God is more concerned with your heart than He is with your hands. In other words, by that, we often look at people and what they do in service to the Lord, and we judge their uh, level of spiritual maturity based on those things, what we see outwardly. But if you remember, the Lord told the prophet Samuel back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, that he doesn't look on the outward appearance as man does, but he's looking at the heart. And you might be here this morning, and you might be all polished and dressed up and looking good on the outside, but I want you to know that God sees what's going on on the inside. And he's honestly more concerned about what's going on in your heart, and he's inviting you to turn to him and to draw nigh to him more than what's going on outwardly. That's more important. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 4 that the, the Father, the, that, that God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And then he said, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. In other words, God is actually, I believe, in our presence today going through the room and looking beyond what we can see on the outside. He's looking deep down into our heart and judging what's going on inside and what are our motivations and, 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 and what is really going on in our heart between us and the Lord. It's easy for us to play a part and, uh, and, and act a part, and, 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 but God, we can fool other people, but we can't fool God. This is something as, uh, the, as parents that we try to teach our children. It's really not just what you do that matters. Now, don't get me wrong, what you do matters. Obedience matters. But in addition to what you do is why you do it. What's going on in the heart? We try and teach our kids. We're just as concerned about the attitude with which you obey as the obedience itself. And, and this is the truth 
with God. Listen, the people were doing the work, but their hearts had not turned toward him. And he's inviting them, hey, turn to me. And I love what he said there in, in Zechariah chapter 1. He said that, that, that he wanted them to turn to him. But notice he also said in verse number 3, and I will turn unto you. So it kind of reminds me of James chapter 4, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. If, if we just be willing to turn to the Lord in our heart, he responds. And, and uh, so I hope that your heart is right before him this morning. These people were, the, the things that they were doing were right, but because their hearts weren't right before God, God wasn't able to bless the work of their hands. And this is why it's so important that our hearts are right with God, because our service to Him and our obedience to Him needs to be out of a, it needs to be the outflow of a heart of love for God, not simply an attempt to be accepted by God. So many people get that wrong. They're working so hard to be accepted by God that they're doing certain things and in turn they're not being accepted by God. And yet the Lord has already done everything that is necessary for us to be accepted by God simply by placing our faith in Jesus Christ and receiving His righteousness. And when we are made accepted in the Beloved by His salvation, then and only then can we truly serve God out of the heart that he desires, a heart of love and obedience to him. Service is absolutely not a substitute for our fellowship with God. Now this is something I think is, is important for us to remember because <clears throat> those of us, I, I look at, throughout this room and, and I see a lot of faithful people and I praise the Lord for that and praise the Lord for your faithfulness. One of the things that faithful people can struggle with sometimes is getting so busy serving the Lord that we fail to remember the reason that we're serving Him. It's because we love Him, because we want to draw nigh to Him and, 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 and be pleasing to Him. But, uh, but sometimes we allow our, our obedience, our service to God to get in the way of our relationship with God. It seems crazy maybe to some people, but it's a reality. And, and uh, if you have ever thought, boy, I just don't have time to pray today because I've got this and this and this to do, and I know I need to do these things, but I just don't have time to pray, that's a pretty good indicator that you've kind of missed the point of why we do what we do. You know, I, I, I'm thankful for those who serve. I'm thankful that we've got people in this room that are that are busy about the work of the Lord. And, and maybe you've even this morning been involved in some area of service and teaching a Sunday school class or, or singing a song or, or just greeting people at the door. Maybe this last week you came in here and, and cleaned in the building. And I mean, there's so many things that we could mention that people are doing, and I praise the Lord for it. But I just want to say, don't ever allow your service to God to get in the way of your relationship to God. Because that's really what's most important. And if your relationship with God is right, you will serve. That's just the way it is. But don't put the cart before the horse on that. And that's really what had happened here. These people had gotten busy about the work that God had for them to do, but their relationship wasn't right. I want you to hold your place there and go with me to the New Testament, if you would, please. Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter 10, and we find these sisters that we know, Mary and Martha... And I want you to notice here some, some things that the Lord has to say about this. Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. Now it came to pass as they went 
that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. And so here you have these two ladies, these sisters, and, and one is all about the business of serving God, and the other is just about the business of being in the presence of the Lord. And Martha, the one who's busy serving, is saying, hey, it's not fair, it's not right that my sister, here I am working, and my sister is just ignoring the work so that she can sit at your feet. And Jesus is basically saying, hey, you're missing the point. You're, you're busy serving, but you're missing the presence of the Lord right here in your house. One thing is needful, and, and Mary hath chosen that good part. And basically, I'm not going to take that away from her. She wants to be in my presence, and that's the best place that you can be. And, and friend, I just want to encourage you this morning, regardless of what you do in your life, the very most important thing is your relationship with the Lord, and your fellowship with Him. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you don't have a relationship with God, there is nothing you can do to fix that. You, you can, the Bible tells us that we are all as an unclean thing. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And you can, in your unclean state, as we all once were, try to serve God, but I'm telling you the work of your hands will be tainted by your sin. It's just the condition that we are in. But once you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive forgiveness. You receive the righteousness of Christ applied to your life. You receive a relationship with God that you can fellowship with Him. And from that relationship can flow service and obedience to God. If you're not saved, let me just tell you, that's the first step. But many of you here today are saved. Hopefully most of you are. But my question to you is, How's your relationship? How's your fellowship with God? Your service to God will never, will never be a substitute for your relationship and your fellowship with Him. Uh, we used to have a saying, there was, there was a time I was um, a member of a church that was very uh, focused on the work of the Christian life. And, and we used to have this saying that soul winning covers a multitude of sins. We said it jokingly. But, but, I mean, there was almost this mentality that really as long as you are busy trying to lead people to Christ, then you really could do no wrong, you know. And, and folks, I'm just telling you, that's just, not, that's just not the Bible perspective. That's just not God's perspective. If you're right with God, you're going to be a witness. You're going to be serving God. But, but that's where it starts is being right with him. Where's, how's your fellowship? So there's a lesson that he gives there in the first uh, 14 verses there. But then I want, I want you to notice also quickly there's a law that he gives. He teaches us a law. Now this, is, this law is one that we find more clearly explained in the New Testament. But I want you to see this in verse number 15. He says, And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone, 
in the temple of the Lord since those days were when one came to a heap of 20 measures there were there were but 10 when one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press there were but but 20 I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands uh, these people were experiencing the 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 weight of of God being against them because of their their disobedience to him and and really the reality is that they had been sowing the wrong kinds of seeds. They were sowing to their own flesh, as the Bible would say. They were focused on earthly things rather than eternal things, and they were reaping corruption that we, we read in Galatians chapter 6. That's what happens when we sow to the flesh. Their, their work was coming to naught, and they were still reaping the bad seed that they had sown those months ago. Even though it had been three months since things had changed, their circumstances really hadn't. You know, sometimes I have counseled with people who uh, will, the Lord will get a hold of them and, and make a change in their life. And it seems like just about the time they get right with God is about the time that all the chickens come home to roost, you know. And, uh, and, and man, I've dealt with people that, I've dealt with husbands who just about the time that they repent of their unfaithfulness or, or their anger or their abusiveness in their home or whatever, then all of a sudden their family turns against them and their wife will leave them or, or their kids turn against them and get bitter and, and, and they just, it, it, you can just see the weight on them, the burden, and there's just this thing, I understand that I deserve what I'm facing, but it just doesn't seem right because I'm trying to do what's right now and I'm facing the consequences of mistakes I made in the past. You know what I mean by that? And, and I've dealt with people over and over that that just begins to happen sometimes. And they're trying to do what's right, but it seems like the past just keeps catching up with them. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking, and sometimes it's discouraging, even as a, a pastor, as a counselor, you're trying to help someone and encourage them to do right and to live right, and yet it seems like they're just constantly uh, beaten down by the past, coming to catch up with them. And, and that's a, a, a tragic thing, but I want you to remember that in Galatians chapter 6, the Bible makes a statement. It says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And the, the reality is, folks, that we sometimes expect because we've changed, we expect that the consequences are going to change. But if we sowed bad seed in the past, you can be sure... God's not going to be mocked. And, and, and you're going to begin reaping the, the fruits of that. He that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so we see that, that we are to sow good seed. This principle, this law of sowing and reaping, it's not something that just uh, you know, happens most of the time. There's kind of this principle. No, this is a law, just like gravity, right? What goes up must come down. And God has established the laws of sowing and reaping. Now, there's some things about sowing and reaping that maybe you haven't considered before, maybe you have. First of all, you reap what you sow. We know that to be true, right? You put a seed into the ground, and if it's a, a seed for corn, you don't expect that green beans are going to grow. And if you put uh, you know, an apple core into the ground, you don't expect a, a peach tree to grow up out of that. You reap what you sow. So when you sow that which is evil and wicked and disobedient, you can know 
that someday you're going to reap from that. But if you sow that which is righteous and good, there's also reward to be reaped from that at some point. You reap what you sow, but think about this. You reap more than you sow. When you put seed into the ground, you don't expect one more of those things to come up. You expect a multitude of those things to come. You reap more than you sow. And that's a good thing, right? Otherwise, we really would have no purpose in planting. But we reap more than we sow. But the third principle that maybe some people don't consider, you reap later than you sow. You don't put a seed into the ground today and expect that today or tomorrow you're going to be able to get a harvest off of that. There's a season for that to grow, and there's a harvest that will come, but that harvest will come later. All right, so what, what is all this about? Well, sometimes we've sown seeds in the past that have been bad seeds. And even after we have changed and, and turned and repented, and maybe we've been made right with the Lord, I just want you to know, don't be surprised if those things come back and, and, and catch up to you. And those chickens do come home to roost. You say, well, what do I do? And, and, and how do I stay on the right path? Let me tell you, this is, this is the, probably the greatest principle of truth in all of this. Start sowing good seed today. Sow good seed. Do what is right. Be right with God. Fellowship with God. Serve the Lord. Be obedient to the Lord. And yes, you may still be reaping some things from the past, but I want you to know you'll reap what you sow. Start sowing good seeds today, and you're going to find someday good, good, good harvest coming off of that, good fruit coming off of that. Just get busy sowing good seed. And that's really what the Lord is saying to them. Listen, I know that because of your past and because of your disobedience that there are just some things that you're having to deal with even today even though your behavior has changed the consequences of sin are sin are still there but just keep doing what is right and notice what he says at the end of verse number 19 he says from this day will I bless you it's coming and and there is a, a there is a harvest of righteousness that is coming but just be faithful and just to be obedient and start sowing that good seed. And so this morning from this prophecy that maybe is, is a little bit obscure and a little strange even, uh, I just think there's some things that we need to ask ourselves. First of all, is our heart right with the Lord? Is my heart right with the Lord today? I'm not asking about the things that you're doing because the things you're doing are really just kind of an evidence of what might be inside but God knows the truth about you, and what God knows about you is a lot more important than what people think about you. God knows what's going on on the inside. Is your heart right with God? Are you saved? Do you know that your sins have been forgiven, that you're on your way to heaven? Friend, it can only come through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's Him and Him alone. It's not by any works that we can do. It's not by any goodness. Some people think, you know, I'm... I'm arrogant because I can stand up here and say I, I'm righteous. No, that's not arrogant, friend. If you knew who I am apart from Christ, it is only by the mercy and grace of God that I am saved today. And I still struggle with the flesh like anybody else. And I still struggle with sin like anybody else. But I'm thankful that when the, the Heavenly Father looks down and He looks at my life, He sees His Son he sees a child who, is, who, who has the, the righteousness of Christ imputed or, or placed upon him. I'm thankful for that. Friend, if you have not received that, it, it is only by the mercy and grace of God. And then if you are saved, what is your motivation? 
for obedience to the Lord? What is your motivation for serving God? Is it because you're trying to impress other people? Is it because you're trying to impress God and, and make Him accept you in some way? Or is it because you simply love Him and you desire to be obedient to Him? If it is anything but that, friend, can I just encourage you, turn your heart to the Lord today, and He'll turn His to you. It's a wonderful truth. How's your fellowship with God? How's your relationship? Are you drawing nigh unto the Lord day by day? And then what kind of seeds are you sowing today in your life, in your family, in, in, in our church, in, in your workplace? What kind of seeds are you sowing? Are you sowing good seed, expecting that someday God's going to bless the work of your hands? Or are you still maybe sowing bad seed because you say, well, it's just kind of hopeless you know it seems like circumstances haven't really changed I just want to say wherever you are today there's some principles and truths right here in this passage of scripture that apply to you and to me